With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 222 of Mason Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site of Mason Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you for joining us for this episode. We have a nice short little interview with Jim Duquette coming up, but before that, Chris McShane and I spoke about the weekly Jay Bruce chatter, relief pitchers, and more. Well, Chris, we're back with another uh, chat in this long, long off season that's coming to a close now, where it was a few weeks away from spring training. And uh, we have an email, and as always, you can email the show, podcast at com. And this comes from our friend Tom. When asked about his personal top 10 pitchers in baseball on Twitter by MLB Network, Thor responded with this. I will read his list. Uh, number one, yours truly. Number two, DeGrom. Number three, Harvey. Number four, Mats. Number five, Familia. Sorry, number five, Wheeler. Number six, Familia. Number seven, Gazelman. Number eight, Reed. Number nine, Lugo. Number ten, Bartolo with a crying emoji. 
Uh, now, while I'm sure this is just Noah's media team trying to be cute, it makes you wonder if this is how he actually ranks the Mets pitching staff in his eyes. Building further on this is a question to the pod, and keeping it simply just Mets pitchers, how would you rank Noah's top 10? Would you keep the same order or switch it up? In the spirit of keeping it just Mets, which would unfortunately disqualify Cologne, is there anyone not on the list that you would add, and where would you put them? I'm interested to hear everyone's responses. Uh, thanks for the show. Looking forward to the ARG. Let's go Mets. All right, Chris, you want to take this first? What would your, well, first of all, who would be your 10th uh, spot in there? Hmm. Well, first I was going to say that, uh, I mean, technically they, the top 10 right now was like two different. It was starter and reliever, right? So Syndergaard right. sort of combined both. Um, and I would say, you know, th- this isn't necessarily – how uh he would rank them where he would he would probably put Bartolo first if he were <laughs> if you were truly speaking from the heart right yeah, yeah yeah um so but if i mean if we're just going all Mets pitchers uh and you know you take everybody who's on the team you know the relievers being in there makes it weird you know yeah. like throws me for a loop a little but as currently constituted, I guess it's the Robles, you know? My answer, too. Yeah. Just for the upside. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not a... Uh... He, he's the only guy who has done things at the major league level enough that for me to have confidence going into the season. You know, he's he's uh, stayed healthy for both of his major league seasons, He's had his ups and downs, but the ups have looked really good and promising. So, you know, he's he's a guy who I hope uh, builds upon that a little bit and, and has either fewer or shorter uh, slumps, which isn't usually a word we use for pitchers, but right. I, it's something that he's done. So, yeah, he's he, he'd be the guy I'd, I'd swap in there. And he's like buddy-buddy with Bartolo. We know they trained together last Winter, they they may have again this winter. I don't, I didn't, I don't recall seeing that specifically, but you know, it's uh, it's entirely possible. So you're hoping that some of that good Bartolo rubbed off on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, and I, I, uh, it may, just a little bit of the the Zen of Bartolo, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that... we saw we saw Robles get flustered once or twice during the season, and you know, the Yankee Stadium, Mark Teixeira. Stood out. Oh boy! As a moment of that, and man, Teixeira. Ugh, I'm glad that guy's gone. Yeah, like he he annoyed me. I was I totally would come to Robles's defense in that game, but it did throw him off. You know. Yeah. Um. So maybe maybe a little bit of what Bartolo teaches that you know as you uh, we we aren't uh, quite as uh, let's say experienced as Bartolo <laughs> is in life, right? But, you know, you, you hear it as a cliche when you're younger that, you know, you can't, you know, if I'd known then what I'd known now, right? Right. That kind of thing. Um, so you get on this side at 30, and I think you, you realize that there really is just some value to time. Uh, Louis C.K. has a great bit about, you know, it, you know, I'm in my 40s, and... I just know more than you. 
Yeah. <laughs> like if you're young, you know, if you're in your twenties, I just do. Um, so I, I won't attempt to, you know, recite all of that, but seek that out. Uh, and, and that's, that's sort of my perspective on, on this <laughs> arbitrary list <laughs> tweeted by Noah Syndergaard swap, uh, in, in the last spot, anything else that you, um, any other Mets pitcher who you maybe would have considered or anything else that came to mind on Robles? There's a, uh, there's a very small part of me that wanted to put Rafael Montero in there. Because I still haven't given up hope for Montero, totally. But it's getting I, pretty close to being giving up hope. Yeah, I like that, though. Because there's pretty much no hope <laughs> among the, the general Mets fan. Uh, that is true. You know? So... I I haven't seen anything from him that makes me think it's going to work, but, <laughs> you know, he's still – I haven't quite given up yet either. So well, When I, you think about just the way yeah. – sort of the prospect churn that happens, we were, we were loving Montero before there was a Wheeler, a Matt, or a DeGrom really on the horizon. Yeah. And that's – was it even before they traded for Syndergaard? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I don't think so either. Because Montero's first season in the minors. See, now that I'm looking, he's he's 26 now. He, I haven't given up yet, though. But <laughs> oh yeah, no, his first season in the minors was 2011, and I know he was very much a uh, a day Podesta guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was before they acquired Syndergaard. So yeah, that's how long he's been a potential thing. Yeah. Oh man, making me feel old. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's what I do, dude. That is. Um, yeah. Well, that's what sports do. Really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm uh, older than David Wright. I think about that all the time. <laughs> I can say this. I can say my back is in better shape than David Wright's. There you go. I don't give myself anything else above that guy. My back's in better shape. I have less bushy eyebrows. I guess that's about it. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I think I would slightly tweak the order that Syndergaard gives here. I think I would put... Um, I don't know, actually. I feel like Reed should be in a, a spot up. Under Familia, above Gazelman. Addison Reed's really good. And really yeah. underrated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I've been hoping that they'd find a way to keep him around beyond this season. Uh, the arbitration settlement, you know, or settlement before arbitration, I should say, just to be entirely accurate, uh, came in lower than I expected. So, you know, I don't know what that says about what happens after this season. And I'm not a guy who likes to worry about that sort of thing, you know. Right. Before season begins, or, or certainly during it, but uh, but yeah, I like Reed a lot, and I think you know if you were going to actually rank, I'd probably put Gazelman above. Uh, I'd put him above Mats and Wheeler. I was I was gonna say I would definitely put him above Wheeler. Looking at this list now, because we just don't know what we have with Wheeler at all. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, Wheeler's such an unknown, so. There's that, and then Matt's. Uh, there's not a knock because the rotation. You know these guys are all so good 
but the results from Matt's have been of those guys. You know, he, he was more in Wheeler territory, I think, when you look at his career numbers. Right. Than Harvey DeGrom Syndergaard territory. And that's fine. <laughs> you know, when, when you have three pitchers of that caliber at the top of your rotation, if, if you're like the de facto four, that's okay. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, Badly about a guy who's got a three point one six ERA, right? Yeah, in his career, but you know, compared to his peers, uh, it's a little bit worse. And you know, Wheeler, he's at a three point five ERA. Obviously, didn't pitch at all in twenty fifteen or sixteen, so that you know, like you said, it's hard to give that a whole lot of weight now because it's just so far removed. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I buy Gazelman. I'm, I'm, I was very impressed by what I, uh, you know, what I saw. And I will say that <laughs> having, uh, this totally just a Gazelman has died here, but having interviewed him for a piece a couple of years back now, almost. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I started that piece by saying he, you know, he's, he speaks with uh, his his pitching and is not not his words. Something along those lines. Uh, he doesn't say much, and I, I just bring that up because you know now that he he made the majors and had success, he did some interviews. You know, with with uh, I think WOR he was on, uh, maybe MLB Network, and absolutely nothing has changed in that regard. <laughs> And that was kind of comforting where, where you know, I was like, all right, that's Robert Gazelman. That's just who uh, he is, yeah. You can't, right. you can't feel bad about the interview. No, no. You know, it was uh, – and, and he was he was polite. He was nice. Uh, he's a big, like, one-word answer kind of guy. So I, I listened to the entirety of uh, Pete McCarthy interviewing him, and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a professional. He's on the radio, you know, regularly. Yeah. Gets paid for it, all that, and he did a really good job of filling time and trying to just dive deeper into questions and and give follow ups and and all that and uh, and yeah. Let's. I wouldn't call it a must listen though. <laughs> and um, that, that, that's. I'm complimenting McCarthy here. You know. Yes. Yeah. But but uh, but yeah, you don't have to seek that audio out. <laughs> Uh, so let's, let's pivot from here for one second. So I think I'm with you in believing in Gazelman. I don't know what that exactly means for 2017, but could you see him being one of the Mets top five start? Are you one of the starting five this time in 2018? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if Wheeler comes back and he's healthy, uh, and you know, it's entirely possible that he's better than Gazelman. You know, maybe Gazelman settles in somewhere that's not quite as good as what he looked like so far. But uh, yeah, it would be a really good problem to have. You know, all five or six of these guys being healthy at the same time and bumping somebody to the bullpen, but. If Gazelman is the real deal and he's 
where I'm I'm saying I would rank him right now. And the Mets have legitimately great one through four. Uh, you know, I think we've learned that the the cliche that there's no such thing as too much pitching is certainly true. Uh, players get hurt. You, you know, you keep the depth in, in this case, I think, if you had the choice. But it wouldn't be impossible to maybe trade a player and, and not feel a huge drop-off uh, in terms of the rotation. Or, you know, you just start to look ahead and, and if you can't retain Harvey, which I know is a foregone conclusion that everybody <laughs> doesn't even think that the Mets might sign him. But he already has a locker in the Bronx. Come on. We've been there twice with Cespedes. Uh, you know, even after... Reyes left. It was kind of assumed that Wright couldn't be kept around. So I'll just say that I will react to Matt Harvey's free agency if and when it gets to that point. Um, But if he were to depart that way uh, and Gazelman is really good, it's a sort of a transition where you know, you can still have this really dominant top of a rotation, uh, whether he, you know, leaves or not. So, yeah, I, I guess looking at this list now, thinking about it, I, I would, I would keep the top three firmly in place: Syndergaard, Degrom, Harvey, in that order. I think I would keep Mats four, Familia five, Gazelman. Reed, Wheeler, Lugo, uh, Robles. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Why not, right? Yeah. All right. Um, here comes a topic we've talked about a lot. Uh, <laughs> so, so the Mets have said that they plan on starting the season as of now with Jay Bruce as their starting right fielder. Now... I'm happy we're talking about this, believe it or not, because I, I I feel like this might be a situation where they're saying he's going to be their starting right fielder because that will make it easier for them to trade him if teams actually think that. Now, if I've figured that out, other teams have figured that out too, so I'm not I'm not overly confident in this plan, but... <laughs> Do you really think that this is did, – did they misread the market this badly, Chris? I uh, Well, yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, I would say that the, you know, the, the season hasn't started yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, whether or not – and I, I don't think Davidoff um, – has a bad report here. I'm sure that they actually had this conversation with him. Uh, and, and that makes sense. That's fine. But, you know, there's, there's time to go before the season begins. Uh, I, I would say let's, if we're, if you're going to, or so inclined uh, to freak out over Bruce being a starter, at the beginning of the season, at least wait for it to happen first. <laughs> That's um, so th- there's there's that, and then you know, yeah, it, it's possible that they thought that one year thirteen million would be 
pretty easy deal to to sell to another team. Uh, the, you know, and the focus obviously with Bruce is that the power hitting market hasn't really gone that fast, but a, a lot of the free agent market didn't, you know, and uh, there's still there's there's a bunch of players who you would think would be signed by now. Yeah, multiple positions who are still out there. Yeah, this has been a really weird market. Yeah. Like, I still, I, I wonder how much of an effect the CBA negotiations had on it, you know, where things got settled pretty easily. You know, I mean, they kind of took it to the 11th hour, but nothing drastic changed. But I wonder how much time and energy was put into that by players and teams uh, and, and whether or not that slowed down the process of the offseason at all. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know. Because it's just weird that, like, why is Jerry Blevins still a free agent? Because well, the Mets haven't signed him yet. Well, yeah, maybe he really <laughs> does want to come back. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is that simple. Uh, I hope so. Right? But... Like, he's better than Mike Dunn, and that guy got a pretty good contract. Yeah. You know, spring training is not that far away. Like, pitch, the report dates are not that far away at all. Yeah, it's it's truly bizarre. Um, you know, what I think is really interesting is how, look, I, I'm not going to come out and say that the home run has been completely... Uh, devalued in the in the eyes of baseball teams but can you imagine do you remember a 30 home run guy going this late into the uh season without being signed yet off season rather it's uh, pretty rare you're right yeah um i'm trying to like think if i actually remember somebody i don't doesn't mean it didn't happen right no, no exactly anybody right away it doesn't seem like it's uh, like like that should be happening, especially. What I feel like statistically, you know, if if you're stat minded, the home run is never going to go out of style, right? It's it's the best thing in baseball. You're you you want home run hitters on your team. You don't want obviously one dimensional home run hitters, but I think that Bruce is a good enough hitter and a not terrible enough right fielder. To give a team some sort of value, especially for that contract. I'm, I'm really surprised he's still out there. But as we discussed last week, I think if you bring Bruce, if, if you have Bruce as your starting right fielder, you are going to have to send Conforto down to start the season. And people aren't going to like that, but that's way better than having him sit on the bench. Yeah. It's a weird offseason, Chris. It is. Really is. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about tonight is um, the bullpen market because the Mets are still in need of some relievers, and the the pickings are not quite slim yet. But you know, if you take Jerry Blevins out of the mix, it's uh, sort of a hodgepodge of players. Some some people who still have a, a decent name recognition. Some folks who probably forgot existed. Some folks maybe you haven't heard of before, but Chris and I have each picked one reliever we like the Mets to go after that we think they could reasonably get at this point and at a reasonable cost. So, Chris, who is your uh, 
Who's your first pick? So I guess your only pick. We're only doing one. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we're uh, we're attempting to not repeat ourselves. So yes, forgive that as well. us. Forgive us if we do. Yeah, both but, of us would rather Jerry Blevins. I think right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, top choices of what's left. I think give me Blevins and Romo. Um, there's some other combinations that would also be good, but if I could take one righty, one lefty, you know, that, that's where my mind goes first. But since I think we've talked about that a lot, I may have touched upon this at some point, but I'm, I'm going to say Tommy Hunter, uh, which is sort of out of character for the type of thing that I like, especially in a reliever being that he's not a high strikeout guy. Um, he's not a super high ground ball guy either, but despite those, you know, peripheral, uh, metrics, he's, he's gotten the job done for the most part since he got moved to the bullpen. Uh, and he's one of many, it seems starting pitchers or former starting pitchers who's really improved a lot since switching roles. So, you know, despite striking out seven ish batters per nine innings uh he's really good at not walking anybody uh in in the years right after he switched uh sub three eras in two seasons with the orioles before he you know struggled a bit uh got a little bit over four in 2015 uh, you know they traded him to the cubs and you know, last year split time with the the Indians and Orioles, and and dealt with a freak injury too along the way, but got his ERA back down to three point one eight. So, you know, it's not the type of signing that I think would make you thrilled or celebrate. The, I mean, I celebrated the off season I think uh, two months ago at this point, <laughs> <laughs> just about, uh, but. You know, the, Tommy Hunter isn't the kind of guy who you, you look at and go, oh, man, that guy's a lock. But if he can do something like what he's done over the past four years, um, I think that adds some stability as you lead into, you know, Reed and eventually Familia. That makes sense to me. I can buy that. Um I was going to just be ridiculous and say Jonathan Papelbon, but I'm not, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, although there, there there is part of me that, that that you know the fantasy baseball playing slash the world is fucked up right now. Let's just, let's just keep going with it, bringing him onto the team. Uh, but no, let, let's not do that. Um, I'm going to advocate for uh, the wonderfully named Boone Logan as my guy. Um, you know, he's made 60-plus appearances in, I guess it's, uh, let's see, five of the last six seasons. He um, he averages just about 11 strikeouts per nine innings. He, uh, he hasn't been, he hasn't been great with walking guys, but he's not, he doesn't put too many guys on base all the time, especially last year. He had a, a really nice whip last year, 1.014, and, uh, I think that if we're looking at a Mets lefty, you you want to put somebody in there who I mean, look again. I'd rather Blevins. I'm fully aware of that, but I would really like to have a lefty who isn't uh, either Josh Smoker 
or um, Josh Edgen. The the Joshes don't inspire a ton of uh, a ton of confidence in me. But you want somebody out there who's going to be able to get lefties out specifically. It's going to be good against uh, left-handed batters. And you know he only gave up one home run to a lefty last year. He struck out forty and walked nine against lefties. He's he's a true lefty specialist. And uh, you know even with even if they brought back Blevins, I wouldn't be so mad at Boone Logan taking that that Lugie role instead of uh, Edgen or Smoker. But I understand the Mets aren't going to do that. But yeah, that would be the guy I'd go after, or Papelbon, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Papelbon's a nice. Uh... I don't know. A nice fit. <laughs> there should be an over-under, though, on Papelbon. Games played in 2017, and it should be probably 0.5. <laughs> I'll take the over. Yeah. Oh, no, I imagine he'll end up somewhere. But, you know, can the guy accept not being a closer? You know, that that seems to be a very big issue for him. So, you know, that that's essentially my uh, my joke bet is – whether or not he's <laughs> willing to adjust to reality, um, whatever that even is. I mean, if the Mets were smart, they would sign him right now, make him their closer while Familia is suspended, and then release him after 30 games. Because there's no way he's – like, that's that's a toxic guy to have in the clubhouse. And I'm, yeah. not, I'm not one of these clubhouse chemistry guys necessarily, but when you choke another player in the dugout – you sort of lose uh, <laughs> you lose the benefit of the doubt. So I would just sign him for the 30 games and then release him the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Crazier things have happened, right? But <laughs> but yeah, I'm, uh, I, I have high hopes for Smoker. Uh, I think Edge and I'm a little less – I don't know. I, I, Edge and could be decent. Smoker has enough stuff. And he being a lefty who throws as hard as he does and uh, and everything, you know, he's he's a guy who I could see being very good, uh, likable story. I, I, you know, I, there's some appeal in the idea of a you know former top Nationals draft pick who wound up on the Mets. Uh, you know, several years and injuries later and all that, but somebody they found in the baseball scrap heap who the Nationals had discarded. Uh, I would love for him to end up being a significant part of the bullpen in the division race, you know? so That is a fun story, but I feel like that's way too much of my... um, I don't know how to describe it. Like I, I feel like I'm always the guy who thinks that the former top draft pick can be rehabbed. You know, I've been burned right, by that yeah. story too many times, I feel like. So <laughs> Smoker's, Smoker doesn't have my confidence because I've just, I've rooted for that guy in, in many incarnations. Yeah, fair enough. And there's plenty of uncertainty there. And I would rather, you know, I'd rather go to the other guys who we've talked about today and in previous weeks um, as the first line of defense in the bullpen. And then... You know, have other guys like Smoker available. Uh, you know, even if he makes the major league bullpen and start the season, to switch from a you know lower leverage role to a middle one, um, or if he were to be in you know in Triple A to come up when there's a need, uh, and then that's the same thing. Goodell falls into that for me. Even Lugo, 
you know, if everybody's healthy in the rotation and let's just say Wheeler's in the bullpen and Gazelman's in the rotation or you you flip the two and it's the same thing, basically. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of having useful play, major league players in Las Vegas. And I know that sucks for them, but... The the uh, the ultimate goal from the team perspective is definitely to win games and win playoff series and championships. So, you know, I'd I'd like to see seven to ten relievers who could be successful in the majors this year start the season with the Mets and the Las Vegas Fifty Ones. So Sean Gilmartin and. Uh... <laughs> No. <laughs> so please, Mets, sign some relievers, if only for Steve Schreiber's health. Yes. <laughs> well, at the Nelson Figueroa Charity Bowling event, we caught up with former Mets general manager Jim Duquette for a very short very impromptu, not at all planned interview. So uh, my apologies for the relative banality of the questions, but Jim had some great things to say, and we hope to get him back on the podcast soon. So uh, enjoy. We love talking about sort of the um, how a front office works. You know, for fans, it's this fascinating, right. bizarre world. So what's one memory when you were GM that sort of stands out as like the quintessential general manager moment? Well, you know what? There's a lot of moments. I We were just talking earlier. I was with... Um, with Nelson and Gary Apple, we were talking about even when I first started out, and we were talking about Dallas Green and his dealing with Paul Wilson. If you remember Paul Wilson, yeah, yeah, yeah. our former first round, and how Dallas was a you know the old school guy, and he let him out, kept it. He had a complete game shutout going on at Wrigley back in I want to say '94, probably '95, in that range '96, and uh, and he, he was throwing like 140 pitches. And, you know, we were, like, we're sweating it out. Like, oh, you, you got to take him out. You got to take him. You know, we were worried about his health. And he ends up coughing up a two-run homer, I believe, to Sammy Sosa, if I'm not mistaken. We, Mets end up losing in extra innings. So, and, and you know, and, and Paul was never the same after that. So, there's, like, there's so many stories like that. Like, David Wright, you know, the reason why we drafted him was our hitting coach at the time. We had fired twice, Tom Robson went and saw him as an amateur in high school and and kept telling me you got to you got to draft this kid named Wright. He's a high school kid out of Virginia. They're like, "Okay, you know, and we had, there was like really good players in that draft and he goes, "No, no, 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 no. The best hitter is David Wright." And he kept saying it over and over. And so we drafted him in the, you know, in a sandwich pick after I forget who else we drafted that year. I want to I don't think it was an Aaron Highland, but it was he was the draft comp, the draft pick compensation for Mike Hampton that year. Yeah. So, but but so those type of memories, like there's so many of them. You know, Preston Wilson was on MLB Network today, and he's like talking about guys that he played played with in the minor leagues. All those guys, like those are guys that you know that couple of them, Tony Tiarina, who I hired in the minor leagues. Like there's so. When you work for an organization for 17 years, it's hard to narrow down right, right. one memory, whether it's easy as a, as a GM or right, arm yeah, director yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 
Is there a trade that you look back on now that really stings, the one you could have made that never came through? So, uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's always there's always ones that you go, man, I wish we could get that one back. We were, um, oh, I mean, you know, the Casimir trade, you always go, I wish we had more information or wish we hadn't gone down that road. That was one. Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a signing. Uh, trying to think of... Uh, one of the one of the ones that actually I feel like was a was one that but kind of behind the scenes that we that I liked the most was the Mike Cameron signing because he was a guy that really he didn't have us on his radar at all and we sold New York and we sold the Mets to him and all of a sudden we didn't even have to be the highest bidder and he wanted to come and play for the Mets. And we basically created a video and, and had all these, like, Seinfeld and all these New York icons yes. with a specific message from Mike Cameron. Hey, you need to come to New York. Ed, Ed Bradley, I mean, you name it. We pulled out all the stops and we, we superimposed his picture on uh, Times Square and a billboard. Little things like that. We created a uh, little uh, little uh, DVD. So, like, there's little things like that that I feel like, you know, are under the radar signings. Yeah. You know, the Beltron signing was, we 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 gave him the most money. So. Right. Right. That there wasn't a lot of art to that. There was there was a lot of sell, salesmanship with Mike Cameron. Okay. Cameron worked. He, he's sort of I think a little underappreciated. He. He was, he was actually underappreciated. Yeah. There's a couple the guys that are underappreciated. Cameron was one, Alfonso was another. Uh-huh. Coming up through our system. I Absolutely. Mean, he, he just never I mean we you know, Met fans love Alfonso in the front office. We loved him, what he did is versatility. Um, you know, and those are the guys that you you know, you're like, oh man, I, I wish he got a little bit more love, a little bit more attention. He's starting to now. Yeah. You know, now that he's man, you know, managing, managing in the, yeah, in the yeah. Mets organization. Uh, Ola Roots, another guy that probably was, you know, true Met fans appreciate what he did. Yep. His stay, I felt like, was a little too short. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to have still had him around that one more year. One more. Yeah. yeah and I Zeal agree. was tremendous, and Zeal's become a friend of mine. Right. So I love the I love the fact that once we realized Ola Roots wasn't coming back, we we could go get Zeal. Yeah, but that, was, that, made, that was like his best year of his career, if I remember. Right? 2000, yeah. yeah, was a hell of a year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if Timo just ran out, ran hard one time, around third scoring, he would have scored that game, and we would have beat the we would have beat the Yankees. That's the story I'm sticking to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we win game one. We I'm sticking to that one. Uh, you know, moving into your role as an analyst now, what's the most fun part of your job? You know, you get to watch a lot of games, talk about a lot of games. What's the most fun part of being an analyst? I think. Um, what I enjoy about it the most is, you know, watching. I mean, the, the t- how talented this team is. You know, they, they hadn't gotten to the postseason two years in a row since uh, I was assistant GM with the Mets there, ninety nine, two thousand. Right. So, just watching, watching, you know, how young, how uh, the, the you know, kind of youthful, and watching them develop uh, at the major league level, and watching, you know, watching Syndergaard handle New York, and how good Degrom is, and. You know how how before his injury, how good Harvey was. I mean, this staff is really. Uh, Matt's is a guy who, when he was growing up, he was watching the team that I was a part of. Right now, yeah. now you know I've gotten older, got a few gray hairs, and now Matt's is on the team. You know, for the uh, the team that we all kind of enjoyed growing. Yeah. You know, as a, as a front office executive, so it kind of 
you know, kind of throw myself into enjoying that aspect of watching the Mets right now. Yeah. Last question for you, and then we'll let you enjoy the rest of the evening. Yeah. Uh, is there a player on the Mets you think goes underappreciated, a current player who you see and you think, wow, that guy's going to be special? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because they're a little bit, they're a little bit, um, they're a little bit older. I thought when they signed this Drupal Cabrera, I thought that was an underrated signing. I didn't know he was going to have that type of year. Right. But I remember when they signed him, they gave him a two-year deal. And there's some criticism in the industry. And I'm like, you know what? This guy, you know, he's a 20 to 25 home run guy, potentially. And he catches what he gets to. I think that that's one of those where, you know, I expect another big year out of him, another good year out of him. I think that's the one, you know, of, of all, because I think there's some other guys who you, you know, you really, you know, you look at them, and you go, well, I think they're going to have a good year, a bounce back year. But he's underrated. He's under, he's underrated for me. What he, ha- what he, uh, the job that he did, and so I'd say probably, you know, Cabrera for me would be right. the underrated one. All right, thanks a lot, Jim. Cypher here, and I'm here to answer an email. So the question this week is, how is it that there are so many diverging opinions on Mets prospects and the farm system as a whole? Keith Law is very positive on Tom Smith, and Amazing Avenue writers aren't. MLB.com ranked Rob Gazelman number 14, while Amazing Avenue ranked him number 2. John Sickles almost ranked Gregory Guerrero in the top 10, he was number 11, when he was on no one else's list. Jeff Paternostro has Andres Jimenez in the top 10, and he's on no one else's list in the top 10. I can understand there's a lot of opinion involved, but how can two educated evaluators see the same player and come to such different conclusions? Well, there's a lot that can influence prospect evaluations and where guys fall on top prospect lists. Um, You know, ultimately, it comes down to our personal opinions and biases. You know, different people have different methods uh, for rating people. They have different opinions on how good different players are, how good they might become, and so on. I mean, me, I'm biased towards pitchers, uh, especially left-handed pitchers. I value a player's overall skill set as opposed to individual tools, maybe a little more than other people. Um, It differs based on the player, but I factor in proximity to the major leagues. Some people do, some people don't. Some people factor in more, some people factor it in less, you know? In terms of all those varying write-ups that different have that that different people have for different prospects. I think the biggest differences come from a seeing guys and b seeing them more than just once. You know, for a few at bats or a few innings, whatever. I'm not throwing shade at anyone, but you know, there's certain names out there that see Mets prospects more than others, and there's certain names out there that see Mets prospects less than others. And don't get me wrong; I mean, that's completely understandable. Uh, if I was in charge of minor league coverage for a website or a publication or a company, whatever, that did you know national coverage, I wouldn't be able to see every player from every team, from every level. Uh, between rookie ball, short season, low A, advanced A, double A, triple A for 30 teams, I mean, you're looking at a few thousand players here, you know? Obviously, that's undoable, seeing everyone. As a Mets fan, you know, and, and someone lucky and privileged enough to be able to go to more than just one or two minor league games a year, I get to see Mets prospects more than a lot of other people out there. Uh, let me give you an example. I saw Justin Dunn three times last year, once at the middle of July when he made his first start, 
once in the middle of August, and then once at the beginning of September. So that's one game where he was still pretty fresh for the year. One uh, that was his last game, and then kind of one in the middle. And when I read reports that are basically, you know, that basically conflict with the stuff that I saw from Dunn in those nine innings, it, it makes me wonder what, you know, other people were seeing, because obviously we weren't seeing the same games. Uh, not to, you know, not to toot my own horn here or anything like that, but I feel that my evaluations maybe have a little more behind them than those of someone else who only saw him once or maybe never actually even saw him, but just kind of had other people's reports passed up to them. Another thing that influences opinions is how current a scouting report is that someone's basing their information on. I'll use another example. Uh, Jeff Paternostro was really the only one to have an in-depth scouting report of Harold Gonzalez coming into the season. Uh, he went down to Kingsport in 2015. He saw him. He wrote about him, posted it on Amazing Avenue. Um, at the time, Harold didn't really have a good breaking ball. It was a kind of loose, slurvy kind of thing. So when I went down, oh, went down, <laughs> when I drove five minutes over to uh, his first start this season, um, the game where the Cyclones got no hit by the Staten Island Yankees in 10 innings, extra innings, his secondary stuff was a lot different. Uh, the slider and the curve were pretty distinct instead of just kind of mushing together into a slurvy kind of undistinct breaking ball. And his slider even looked, so, you know, sometimes like it, flashed, you know, pretty decent. So a little later when I was talking to Jeff, uh, after he saw Harold in 2016, he agreed. And basically the data that we had about his breaking ball from 2015 was outdated. So I think we see a lot of this this season, uh, this past season, and even this offseason a little bit um, when we talk about Rob Gazelman. In 2015, he was decent. Not necessarily good, though. Uh, you know, his fastball sat in the low 90s, maxed out about 93, 94, and he had an average curveball and just kind of a get-me-over change-up, nothing too special. And he put a lot of work in over the offseason, and he came into 2016 with a fastball that had a few more miles per hour to it. He learned a slider that he took to pretty fast, and he improved his curveball. And he went from being a decent starter to a guy with three average to above-average pitches. So throughout the year, you know, a lot of sources were still seeing Gazelman as that 2015 guy, not that 2016 guy. And, you know, those are really two very different people, 2015 Gazelman and 2016 Gazelman. So really, to answer the question, everyone is allowed to have their own opinions, but the best opinions are formed from the most recent information available and as close to the primary source as possible. So, I hope that answered the question, and it's actually surprisingly hard one to answer. You know, sometimes questions that are just really broad like that, even if you're familiar with the subject matter, it's just kind of hard to condense a lot of information from a lot of different places into uh, a satisfactory answer. So, uh, anyway, again, I encourage everyone with questions about the form system to shoot us an email. Podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com uh, our live podcast is coming up soon. The World Baseball Classic is in a few weeks, so I'm going to start writing up some primers, but there's always room for minor league baseball. 
So this is Steve Seifer, and I will talk with everyone next week. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. As always, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher or whatever podcatcher of your choice, that would be a big help to us. And remember that we are still running a contest that if you send an email to podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com with a screen grab of your um, review of the show, you can win an Amazing Avenue t-shirt. So do that. That'd be fun. We also would love you to check out amazingavenue.com, which has... As always, lots of incredible Mets content. Even in this slow off-season, we have lots of Mets stuff to talk about. So please do that. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. Or you can download the show directly from Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com. You can also follow our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So next week, we don't know what exactly the offseason is going to bring, but whatever it is, we'll be here to discuss it. So until next time, let's go Mets.